This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Mother Nature talks to all of us, all the time. Her voice is loud and clear, but often muffled by all the noise around us. But if we spent time in the forests, deserts, mountains, oceans, and prairies of the world, we can hear her. The six months I spent in the desert was both soulful and transformational. Valeria Tellis interviews John Turk, the author of The Raven's Gift, a scientist, a shaman, and their remarkable journey through the Siberian wilderness. John Turk earned a Ph.D. in organic chemistry in 1971 and was nominated by National Geographic as one of the top 10 adventurers of the year in 2012. Between these bookends, John co-authored the first college-level environmental science textbook in North America, followed by 30 additional texts in environmental, physical, and earth sciences. At the same time, he kayaked from Cape Horn and across the North Pacific from Japan to Alaska, mountain biked across the northern Gobi and Mongolia, and made numerous first ski descents and first rock climbing ascents around the globe. During extended travel in northeast Siberia, John's worldview was altered by Mulinaut, a Siberian shaman, and his later books reflect these spiritual journeys. John has published four trade books, Cold Oceans, HarperCollins, In the Wake of the Jamon, McGraw Hill, The Raven's Gift, St. Martin's Press, and Crocodiles and Ice, Ulakan Press. His newest project, Tracking Lions, Myth, and Wilderness in Samburu, to be published by Rocky Mountain Books in September 2021, delves more deeply into a mind-body-spirit theme, supported by adventure storytelling integrated with an anthropological view of the role of art and mythology in human development. Meet John at johnturk.net. Here's the interview with John Turk. In your own words, who is Dr. John Turk? Well, that's an impossible question. I'm a a sentient person on this planet. I live in the forest with my wife in a beautiful Montana forest. And I'm I'm 75 years old. In my old age, I'm just trying to um, spread the word. I spent a lot of time in Siberia and some time uh, with indigenous people in Africa. And there's wisdom, wisdom about love, wisdom about well-being, wisdom about caring for the planet. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm old, my my mission is to spread that word as best as I can. And with that in mind, what is love to you? What is your understanding of that word? Ah, love. Wow, what a good question. It starts out with presence. You can't love without being present. It, it's not a, a thing you can attach on to 
something else. You can't attach it on to a mind that's not in the moment. So you start out with this presence, this living in this moment, this joy of mm. being here. And then from that comes this outpouring of joy to other people. Mm. Presence, yeah. That resonates true to me. And life itself, what is it? Have you ever found an answer for what this is? Again, let's go back to presence. Presence is everything. Um, you, you live, you start everything with a sense of presence, with a sense of being in the now, with a sense of not joy so much, but just oneness with the moment. And mm -hmm. then from then on in your life, you, you travel through this world and we'll talk more about my core message that I learned in Siberia, which is the shaman, the hunter, and the tundra, the shaman, the spiritual journey, the, prag the hunter, the pragmatist, the person who brings home the food yeah. and who eats, and then the tundra, and you cannot dissociate oneself from the planet. We are here in oneness with this earth. From your experience, what is the quality? What's the nature of a shaman? Is that in everyone or this is a gift, a special gift to some of us? We, we all have gifts. And one thing I learned in Siberia is that everybody has a journey to the spiritual world. Everybody. And when I failed, failed in a sense in my journey in one way, I was taken under the wing by another person and said, your journey is different. Everybody has their way. But that said, there are certain people who have a power to travel to the other world that all of us do not have. I sincerely believe that. And these people with this special power can become our guides. And in my five years I spent in Siberia with the Koryak people, this woman, Mulanot, who was 94 or five when I met her, she was born during the reign of Tsar Nicholas II, and she had a power. And this was, It came at me like a bolt of lightning. We can talk about the meeting, the original meeting. It was quite by chance. And then I had to leave. It was a short meeting and she grasped me by the elbow and she said, come back. It will be good if you do. Nine words. And those nine words changed my life. And I looked at her and I felt a jolt that I don't feel with everybody. I love my wife. I don't feel the same kind of jolt. I feel a different kind of jolt. But she had a, a, a power, a journey power that she travels regularly to the other world. And I'm unable to do that. I have to find my power another way. So the answer to your question is, I believe that some people have more 
journey power to the other world than others, and those people are the shamans. Would you say that's natural? Some for them it comes natural because I do believe that the inner world is the only one that's real. There's no other world. There's no external world, really. Oh, <laughs> we get to the important points right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, what is the other world and what is the real world? That gets all mixed up. And we shouldn't get hung up on those definitions. But there's maybe, a, I, I've been working with this for 20 years and I still stumble when, when I talk about it. I gave a talk some time ago and a, and a Buddhist monk came up to me afterwards and I felt that same jolt, that same lightning bolt of power from him that I felt from Mulanot. And I talk about the other world and Mulanot talks about the other world, but what is the other world? The other world is, as far as I'm concerned, it's a deep presence in this world, and that's good enough for me. And I think that's what you were just alluding to. Yeah, I do wonder a lot about these things too. The presence, the unconditional love, and what is real? Like, what is real? That's a question that I often ask. Well, we're going to just stick with the simple things. Real. <laughs> Love is real, uh, in inner sense of presence is real, the planet is real, the earth is real. I did an exercise the other day where I shut my eyes and I walked around in the forest with my eyes closed, being careful not to bump into trees. And then I had a camera and I just faced it straight down at my feet and took a picture. And I did this for a while, and every picture I took, blindfolded, without seeing, looking straight down at the earth, was beautiful photograph. And I just realized, oh, this is the earth that we just walk over, we step on every minute of every day. And if we only stop for a, a nanosecond to look just straight at our feet, anytime we do it, we see beauty. So you could spend your whole life trying to define what's real. And I've just picked up one thing, but it's presence in this planet that we live on and this beautiful planet. So it goes back to the idea of being in the moment, just be here now and this being real, <laughs> um, assuming this is real and seeing the beauty in it. I absolutely agree. Talk to me for a moment about miracles, John. Miracles. Well, I was, when I was spending time in Siberia, I had what could be called a miraculous healing. I had an old injury from an avalanche. It had been repaired surgically in a hospital in Canada. It, the injury reoccurred. The orthopedic surgeons could not understand 
where the pain was coming from. And Moulinot had me stand on one leg naked in the shamanic pose of flight, one hand behind my back, one hand straight out in front of me. And she had us journey to the other world, what she called the other world, and those were her words, to meet with Kutha the raven, and Kutha the raven flew to the woman who lives on top of the highest mountain and healed me. And then I was better, and I was better forever. So in a sense, that's a miracle. But the longer I've been away from this, this was 20 years ago, and the more time I spend with this miracle, I realize that the miracle is not the important point. The physical miracle, this seemingly miraculous healing is only the signpost to the journey. And the journey itself is now we get back to these same words to realize that what I realized is that up until that moment, I as a human being hadn't, had not been living to my full potential. I had not been present. I had not been aware, sufficiently aware of the power of presence of the power of this planet. And the real miracle, forget about my pelvis, drop it. The real miracle is one that's achievable by any one of us, any time, any day, which is to live our life, again, using the same words, with love, presence, opening up to our full potential, which comes from a place of contentment and love, not from anger or even striving. It comes because it just is. Well, we're trying to make it simple, something that actually something that it is simple, isn't it, John? It's all about unconditional love. It's all about unconditional love, unconditional love for every blade of grass, every rock, for every instant, for every moment. We have to love every moment. Yeah, you walk down the street and you stub your toe and your toe hurts. And that's a wonderful moment. You love that moment and every person and everything and love yourself as well. Yes. And even if we don't get to do it, we don't love and we do the opposite. It's okay too. <laughs> That's what I call unconditional love. <laughs> Everything yeah, is okay. <laughs> being or not being. What are some of the misconceptions about healing we have? Oh, the misconceptions about healing. Let, let, let me answer that through another little fable here. The... I was involved in an expedition. I'm an expedition person in the Arctic and a whole continent of ice was smashing into the coast and interrupting our progress. And we had two choices to go out into the ice and be crushed and die or to sit on the shore and wait till winter and freeze to death and die. And 
So we were stressed out, right? <laughs> and I got this message from a, a dear friend, a text message on my satellite phone and said, if the barrier is too great, don't try to overcome it. Pretend, assume there is no barrier. It doesn't exist. There is no problem. And I think all of our great obstacles healing becomes there is no problem. Now, I totally understand. I totally understand that people get sick, you have a diabetes or you have thyroid condition or you get cancer and every one of us is going to die. That's the fact. But the healing starts when you realize that whatever happens, there is no problem. It's okay. It's as you, we just said just a moment ago, unconditional love. I love that idea. Um, that's beautiful. So in a way, there's nothing to be healed in the first place. <laughs> nothing to be healed and everything to be healed. <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> up and down. Yes. Yeah. 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 Thank you for adding that. Nothing to be healed and everything to be healed is the paradox, right? Being able to hold those two ideas at the same time, accepting them. Um, another question I have for you is spirituality. Is there a difference between being spiritual and being religious or they are somehow all the same? Oh boy, I just finished an entire book about this, which is coming out September 3rd. Um, religion and spirituality can be the same, but religion, unfortunately, yeah. the deep spirituality, the deep cooperation, the deep love, that gave our ancestors the power to survive has been hijacked many, many times by people who hijacked what we call, hijacked this thing that is cooperation, that is tribalism, and distorted it into manipulation. I, I call absolute truth and manipulated truth. Yeah. So I wonder why some of us never wake up. Yeah, the, I, I really think that, again, this is what my, this is a really, really important question. This is what my new book is about. I think that there are so many people out there that are trying to manipulate us. And in an Aboriginal society, people were supportive, people were equal, and there was less need to manipulate. But in a hierarchical society, there are people that need, that will become, that they think they're going to gain if they manipulate us. So they convince us to buy things. They convince us to be angry. They convince us to be not ourselves because these people think that if we do their bidding, 
they will gain, not that we will gain. And the important, the, the important aspect of modern life is to recognize a what people are saying and what their message is. Does their message lead you to presence, to well-being, to love, to realizing your full potential, or are you being manipulated? And as soon as you're being manipulated, you have to, as we talked about before, open yourself to your own destiny. Who am I? What is in my DNA? And if I, I don't choose my destiny, I open myself up to my destiny and I become me and I don't become what somebody else says I should be. Thank you so much, John, for that, passing that on, because we need to change this legacy of not being ourselves um, or not honoring that to one of freedom, really. With that in mind, that word, liberation, freedom, what comes to mind when you hear that, those words? Liberation, freedom, it's to be yourself. It's to, and totally to live in the now, to live in the now, to be free of the stories in your head. The, the stories, we are storytelling people. Every society tells stories. Every person tells themselves stories. So Here's a nice story. Yeah. I am John Turk. I'm 75 <laughs> years old. I have a wife. I live in the mountains. I ride my mountain bike. That's a nice story. But that's not now. That's not the presence. Mm, right. So liberation is to free myself from that story. It doesn't matter. What matters is what's happening right now. My internal contentment, my moment, my well-being, my love, my presence. And so the greatest freedom is to be free of the stories I spin in my own head and the stories that people spin around me. Do you believe in mind continuation and somehow surviving the physical death and moving on and, and continuing the journey of that storytelling? I believe that my, oh, this is a really good way of saying it. You are brilliant, thank you. I believe, okay, let's look at my father. My father's wisdom lives inside me. His storytelling, his wisdom, his love got carried into me. I don't personally, worry about where what's going to happen to me after I die. But I do believe that our imprint on the world moves beyond beyond our lives. And I hope that when I die, that what I say and the love I give will continue to make the world hopefully, I mean, this is a big way to say it, uh, make the whole, whole world hopefully a little bit of a better place. 
Was that the meaning of your question? Yes, yeah. And, and that makes sense because if everything is connected, there's no separation, then the one is everyone. So there's, of course, that would, why wouldn't you still exist when the body's no longer here? There's nowhere to go. Right. <laughs> Beautifully, beautifully said. So you wrote the book, The Raven's Gift, a scientist, a shaman, and their remarkable journey through the Siberian wilderness. What was the main inspiration and intention of writing your book, John? Well, I started this journey, I was paddling a kayak from Japan to Alaska, 3,000 miles across the most tempestuous, one of the most tempestuous oceans in the world. I started that journey as a professional adventurer. This is what I did for a living. I was sponsored by big companies. I advertised their product. I wrote books and gave talks about it. And then halfway along the journey, I met Mulanath, this 94-year-old shaman that we talked about previously, and she awakened me to a new reality. And at that moment, when I saw the clarity of what she was saying and wanted to learn more, I stopped being a professional adventurer, and all my sponsors dropped me like a hot potato. They were going, you're talking about shamanism. We don't want to talk about shamanism. We want to talk about hardcore, boom, tough guy reality. And if you're going to spend five years in Siberia with this woman, you're out of here. You lost your job. You're fired. Goodbye. And, uh, but the wisdom and the beauty and the peace and the well-being and the love that I learned from Mulanat and from all the Koryak people, the whole concept of the tundra, the shame and the hunter and the tundra, the unity of everything, it was like, fine, I've changed. I'm a different person. I've become, I've opened myself up to a different reality. Fine, if my whole life is changing from that, that's wonderful. But now it becomes my mission to try to be a spokesperson for what Mulanat was trying to tell me. And she told me straight out, she said she wanted me to take her message to the Western world. She asked me to do that. And that's what I've been doing. So you sent me an email and you wrote something truly beautiful. You say, Mother Nature talks to all of us all the time. Her voice is loud and clear, but often muffled by all the noise around us. But if we spend time in the forest, deserts, mountains, oceans, and so on, we can hear her. So. You said our six months in the desert was both soulful and transformational. So my question is, what is it about nature that has this transformative power? And how did you transform? How much deeper did you go? I can't tell you. I can't describe what it is about nature that's transformative. 
but I know that it is. And perhaps it's that nature has no stories. Nature doesn't manipulate you. Yes, I know that nature can cause an avalanche that will wash you down a mountain and break your pelvis. Nature can cause a rainstorm that will rain on your parade or that will make your head get wet. I know all of that. I've been there. But that's not a story. That's a now. That's a nowness. And we are so consumed by our stories, by other people, by ourselves. When we're in nature, we suddenly realize that there is no story. There is just the presence. And that's why nature is transformative. When you go in, people say to me, they, they've had me give some workshops. So we go into nature and I take them into nature. And I say, look, I don't want you to talk. You, we're not in total silence, but let's not just wander around into gossip land. We're here. We're spending this day. And sometimes people will they'll go on like that for two or three hours and then they'll wander off into gossip land. Yeah. And I don't know what to do. I don't want to just yell at them and saying, hey, look, <laughs> shut up. <you> know? <laughs> yes. But I do know this. If you would sit in a canoe with me for a month. Yeah. The stories would go away. That. I don't have to yell at you. I don't have to give you the rules. I don't have to tell you what to do. All I do, if you would come and sit in a canoe with me for a month and travel across the barren lands or somewhere big, big wilderness, the stories would move out of your head because nature is like a big sponge. And the wonder of this world without stories, your head in the moment, would become so overpowering mm. that you would go there all by yourself. I wouldn't have to say a thing. Is that the way you felt when you met Moonluck? Her name is? Yes. Yes. And, and I, I would like to emphasize also that it's not the only way to do it. That some people, if you're a musician and you play the oboe or the guitar or whatever, when you're deep into your music, you're not into your stories. When I'm writing and trying to craft a paragraph, I'm not thinking about who am I, John Turk, I'm 75 years old. I'm into my the flow of the moment. If you were better at meditating than I am, you can just sit anywhere in a crowded subway, in a busy street, in a quiet anything, and be in the moment. But I am saying that if you're a flawed person like I am, and you continually slip into your stories, oh darn, I'm into this story again. If you go out into nature, Nature will sponge that story away, and that's what's so transformative about nature. So we're almost at the end, John, and I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? 
Oh, I didn't bring my book. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't bring my book. Okay. Um, we really covered it. I, I would say that um, oh boy, uh, a, a final a final ending. Nothing that we haven't covered so far, Valeria. The when we were when Misha and I were traveling across the tundra, people told us about this group of reindeer herders that they thought we should go see. The tundra is big; it's nine time zones from east to west. It's it's like walking from New York to San Francisco to New York and back and back to San Francisco. It's a big space. And we were supposed to find these people camped somewhere on the tundra. We said, where are they? And they said, go up the river until you see the magic mountain. And when you see the magic mountain, turn right up this creek. And we started walking for days and days. Wow. And we were like, this is nuts. <laughs> How are we going to tell where the magic mountain is? <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, Misha, my Russian partner, and I stopped. And we said, that's the magic mountain. We turn right. We follow this creek, and that afternoon we found the reindeer herders. And there are magic mountains, wayposts, signposts all along our way. And these are not the stories people tell us. These are not the news in the newspaper. These are deep lessons talking of the earth that are the signposts of our way. And if we live our life being open, it's not like desperately looking for the mount, magic mountain, but just being open to it. And when it's there, go, that's the magic mountain. That's my signpost. That's my destiny. Then I think we will all be a long step forward towards this well-being and this love that we talk about. So it's um, that way of navigating this reality without expectations, without wanting to get somewhere to a destination, because we are the destination, aren't we? <laughs> the destination is now. It's yeah, here yeah. Yes, the journey and the destination, everything, beginning, the middle, and the end. Even the stories that you tell, they are very clear. They point to that, to that truth. Thank you again, John. Thank you, Valeria. This is wonderful. <laughs> I have a few more questions for you. Let me see. I'll ask you this one. What are three things about this, what we call life, do you know for sure as of this moment? Three things that I know about life for sure that the stories in our head are irrelevant, 
that peace and love and compassion and well-being are available to us all the time. And that the sun is going to come up tomorrow morning, you know, and the sun is going to set tomorrow evening. And that's for sure. Thank you so much again, John. Before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, my website is www.johnturk.net. The book we talked about is The Raven's Gift. And I have a new book coming out September 3rd called Tracking Lions, Myth, and Wilderness in Samburu. And that's up on my website. And if you're interested in it, anybody, I will answer all emails. Send me an email and we can open up a discussion. Wonderful. I'll have your website link on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Valeria. Wonderful, wonderful, stupendous. Thank you. Thank you, John, for your presence. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about John Turk and his work, please visit johnturk.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.